Well, good morning, everyone. My name is John Nemers. I'm on staff here at Sayreville, and thank you for joining us uh, for another week as we continue on in our series through the Book of Exodus. And as we get started, I just want to ask you one simple question, and I want you to answer it honestly in your heart. Are you satisfied with your life? Seriously, answer that in your heart. And if I could read your heart, I would bet that the answer to that question, whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, the answer to that question to many of you would be no. No, you're not satisfied with where you're at in life. You're not satisfied with your life in general. And if that is you, you're not alone. Uh, this has been a thought process for many people for thousands of years. In fact, it's an ancient problem. And we have been walking through the book of Exodus and looking at the Israelites. And you could definitely say that this was a group of people who were unsatisfied with their life. So with that being said, I'm going to ask my friend Todd to come and read our passage for today. All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the leaders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and as you strike the rock, the water will come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the children, elders of Israel, and the children called the name, the place Massa or Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by saying is the Lord among us or not so here again we're picking up our story and we're right here and God has the Israelites yet again stop providentially in an area in which they do not want to be right and this time they don't want to be there because well there is no water there and again, the people, as we've seen throughout the story, the people of Israel start to grumble. But not only do they grumble this time, they also start to quarrel with Moses, the text tells us. Or they contend with Moses. Or they're arguing with him, right? They're contending with him. And the situation got so bad that it actually got to the point where they wanted to kill Moses. And yet again, even after all of this, despite all, all of the Israelites' lack of belief, God chose to save them. God chose to rescue them. And while I was reading this passage, uh, the continual discontent of the Israelites was striking to me. Because no, no matter how many times God delivered them, he was constantly delivering them. They were never satisfied. They were always complaining. They were constantly restless. And the reason why I think this is so striking is because when I'm reading the story, Israel 
Israel is a vivid picture of the modern man, isn't it? And this is why I love the Bible so much, because the Bible is so practical. Of course, it's, it's uh, practical for all generations. But specifically here, this is an ancient story, but this is such a modern problem. Here in this story, we have two options that lay before the Israelites. And we have two options that lay before the modern man today in their quest to answer the question, how can I be satisfied? And it's not a question that just non-Christians are asking. Many Christians have that kind of a mindset. It's not true. Many Christians are asking the same question. How can I be satisfied? And that's what I want to answer today. I want to try and answer that question. And I want to look at those two options, the options that laid before Israel and the same options that lay before us today. And the first option to the question of how can I be satisfied is to look to the world for your satisfaction. And if you are not a Christian here today and you are looking to the world for your satisfaction, I just have one simple observation from the text. Just one simple observation for you. And here it is. You are longing for a lesser life. Look at verse 3 with me. Verse 3 says, I can find it here. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt and kill us, to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? They're grumbling. They're looking at this and they're saying, I desire to be back in Egypt. Right? Their feet were in the desert, but their hearts, their hearts we're in Egypt. And they ask the question, they say, well, why did you take us up out of Egypt? Well, you can imagine being Moses in this moment and you think you're kind of befuddled. Like, what, what do you mean? Why? I don't know. Maybe because you were slaves in a world in which there was no hope, no promise of joy, no promise of satisfaction. And I want to lay out the case today that the same is true if you're not a Christian. Now, before you write me off, I want you to just hear me out because maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian or you'd claim to not be a Christian or maybe you even claim that you don't even necessarily believe in God. And if that's the case and if that's you, then by necessity, all of your satisfaction and purpose in life has to be found here on earth. Right? You following that? That's what I mean by you're looking to the world for satisfaction. You have to find it here on earth. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that is that everything you desire here on earth is never quite as satisfying as you thought it would be, is it? It's like that mindset that, man, if I could just, if I could just get that one girl, if I could just get that one guy to, to fall in love with me, and marry me, then I could be, then it could be wanted, then I could be loved, then I could actually give love, and then I would be satisfied. But then what happens? About a year later, you find out that, well, they're not as great as you thought they would be, right? And then five years later, what happens? Then your mindset starts to shift, and you start to say, man, if I could just leave that one person, that one guy, that one girl, then I could be free, then I could be free to be myself and whoever I want to be and nothing would be holding me back, the chains of someone else. Then I could be free. Then I would be satisfied and happy. But of course, 
You do that, you leave your spouse, and you quickly realize that you're just as empty as you were to begin with. Now, of course, you could come up with a thousand different examples, but it's true. It's just life is just one giant cycle like this. And at the end of the day, you die having never truly obtained what you longed for your entire life. And I think any of you who have lived any time at this, through this path of life, any amount of time, you know that that's true. That rings true to you. The late, great um, Ravi Zacharias, who just died a couple of weeks ago, said, I am convinced that the meaninglessness, or that meaninglessness, does not come from being weary of pain. Meaninglessness comes from being weary of pleasure. Even as a 18-year-old kid, I found that quote to be extremely true. I wasn't a Christian, um, and I thought that life was all about getting high, uh, getting a girlfriend, and just being accepted by, by my peers and whatnot. Uh, and I specifically remember, uh, I was at my buddy's house one warm summer evening, and uh, we were kind of game planning our, our, what we are going to do for that night, as we did every single night in the summer what party we're going to go to. And I remember specifically sitting on in his yard, and, and he kind of had a slouched yard right here, and so I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to them talk. They're kind of over here in my ear, and I'm just, I'm watching the wind kind of blow in the tree, and I'm smoking a cigarette, and they're talking about what's going on in the, at, at the night, and I couldn't help this overwhelming sense of this thought, this is so meaningless. This is so purposeless, the same thing every single day. Because if you're not a Christian and you're looking to the world for satisfaction, you are longing for a life in which there is no true hope, no true joy, no true satisfaction, nothing but empty pleasures that will leave you at the end of the day asking the same question, is that it? Is that it? So be honest with yourself. Does that, does that explain you? Does that describe you? But what about the Christians? That's for the non-Christians. What about the Christians? Because as I said before, many Christians are asking this question. And many Christians choose this option, the option of looking to the world for satisfaction. So what does this passage tell us about Christians who are looking to the world for satisfaction? And for you Christians, I have two observations in this text. And the first observation is this. You will complain about God's commandments when they are not convenient for you. Look at verse 1. It says, all the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord. This was a command, a command from God to get up, pack up, and move. And the right response from the Israelites should have been, yeah, because you've come through with us so often in the past, I will gladly get up and go anywhere you choose because you are a God who takes care of us. But that's not what they did, was it? No, they, they grumbled, they complained, and they quarreled. Now, now, too often, Christians try and look they're just like the Israelites in this sense, where they try and look to God for future salvation, but they try and look to the world for satisfaction. 
They're looking to God for future salvation. They're happy with that, but they're looking to the world for satisfaction. But that's not why God saved you if you're a Christian. God didn't save you simply to be your king in heaven someday. God saved you to be your king here on earth. And and, and I'm afraid that many Christians have this mindset where they are more than happy. They are more than happy to obey, to praise the name of God and do anything he wants them to do on Sunday morning and then the day they die. But the rest of the time, the rest of their time, that's their time. And God ought not to touch that time. And as a result... When God does come into your life and tell you and command you to do something or to get up and go, like he did the Israelites, our response, our reaction is not joyful obedience. Our response is unsatisfied complaining. And here's the way this kind of plays itself out, just to kind of wrap your mind around it. If if, if you're in church, let's say, And you hear a verse like uh, Proverbs 11, verse 1, which says, Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. And you hear your pastor say, what this means is that if you are about to take a job, but you know that there's some sketchy business going on, and he tells you that you ought not to take that job, you recognize that this verse, because dishonest scales are detestable to God, is a command from God not to take that job. But instead of obeying it joyfully, you complain in your mind. And you start to justify, the wheels start to turn. You start to justify why this doesn't apply to you. You ever been there? Or maybe even more practical, maybe it's a Wednesday night and you get home and it's late and you just got done with a really hard, long day of work, and you hear your spouse yell out, we have cell group in 30 minutes. (laughs) Ever been there? Most of us have. And you have this verse pop up in your head that you've read hundreds of times, like Hebrews 10, 25, which says, not neglecting to meet together, which is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And you know that it is a command from God to get off the couch and go to cell group so that you can encourage your brothers and sisters. You know that's a command. And yet, instead of obeying the command, you look to the world, or specifically maybe your couch and Netflix, for your satisfaction. And I'm not on my high horse here. Trust me, I'm guilty of this. I'm not innocent at all. In fact, just the other month before uh, all this pandemic hit, uh, I was driving on my way to the gym. And the gym's kind of just my place where I can unwind. It's my place. I like that place. And I'm on my way there, and I get a call uh, from someone at the office saying that I need to come back for a late meeting, uh, a meeting by which that I, I, I knew the information to already, or at least I thought I knew it. And I, you can imagine, I knew I had to go back, right? So I'm on my way to the gym. I turn around and I am grumbling and complaining in my heart the entire way to the church in the church parking lot. But then later on, Hebrews 13, 17 came to mind, which says, as a leader, I have to give an account for how I watch over the souls. And I am to, quote, do this with joy and not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. So I'm, I'm guilty of this. Because in that moment, I was looking to the world for my satisfaction. 
And that led me to complain about God's commandments because they were not convenient for me. Does that describe you at all? When you look to the world for satisfaction as a Christian, God's commandments become a burden on your soul. Here's my second observation for the Christian, though. When you look to the world for your satisfaction, you will often put God to the test when trials occur. Notice this passage, the Israelites, they were putting Moses on trial when they were quarreling with him, when they were arguing with him. They were calling into question his decision-making, right? And it got to the point where they were ready to carry out judgment. Verse 4, Moses prays out, they're almost ready to stone me. That's a judicial procedure in the Old Testament. You do wrong, Moses, you get stoned. They put Moses on trial. And because Moses is God's appointed mouthpiece, by extension, they were not just putting Moses on trial, they were putting God on trial when they doubted God's provision, God's decisions, and even God's presence in verse 7. Did you see that? As a Christian, when you look to the world for your satisfaction, you will often have the mindset that God is simply a means to your satisfaction. You may just think that God owes you a good life. Like, I, I've been pretty good, so God, God owes me this. And as a result, when trials occur, you put God to the test by questioning his judgment. C.S. Lewis points out uh, that almost no culture in ancient times ever questioned the judgment of God. They thought that if there was a God, then he obviously would know best, right? That was reasonable to them. It made sense. But here the Israelites decide to question God. And that is exactly what the modern man does, which is why I love this story, because it's so practical. This is what Lewis says. Listen to this. Lewis says, the ancient man approached God as the accused person approaches his judge. For the modern man, the roles are reversed. He is the judge. God is on the dock. He, that is man, is quite a kindly judge if God should have a reasonable defense for being the God who permits war, poverty, and disease. He's ready to listen to it. The trial may even end in God's acquittal, but the important thing is, is that man is on the bench and God is on the dock. In essence, what Lewis is saying is that when you look to the world for satisfaction, you treat God like a suspect when bad things happen in your life. You put God on the hot seat and you demand that God explain himself when bad things happen. And of course, that is just an unwise mindset to have. So essentially, you can summarize option number one like this. If you look to the world for your satisfaction, you will always be left disappointed. Always. And if you're a Christian, you may not just be left disappointed, but you may be left angry with God. So what is option number two? Option number two, instead of looking to the world, look to God for satisfaction. And if you're not a Christian and you're, and you're listening to this, would you allow me to just make an appeal to you? Instead of longing for a lesser life where you will 
can constantly be searching for purpose, constantly be searching for satisfaction, just consider what Christianity might actually have to offer. Even if you're not quite there yet, just consider it, would you? And the first thing that Christianity is offering you is salvation. I don't want you to miss the imagery of this, of this passage. So go back and read verse 5 and 6 with me. Verse 5 says this, And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with them some of the elders, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. Moses took the staff that struck the Nile. What happened when the Nile was struck? Blood came out. He struck the Nile where blood came out, resulting in the judgment of Egypt. Moses took that same staff and struck the rock, resulting in not the judgment, but the salvation of Israel. Do you see that? And it gets even better. Look at, uh, go to actually 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, where Paul says in reference back to this story, he says, for they, that is the Israelites, drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and watch this, and that rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock. He is the image of the rock there. The rock was struck in the desert for the salvation of the Israelites, but Jesus was struck on the cross for the salvation of the world. Do you see that? The prophet Isaiah actually goes on to tell us that yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. It pleased God to strike Jesus on the cross, causing him to bleed and die because he loves you. Because he loves you and he wants you. Guys, Jesus, the rock, is the only answer to your unsatisfied life. The only answer. Because you deserved to be struck. You deserve to be crushed. You deserve to, to be rejected. And in fact, you rejected the creator. Yet the creator looks at you and says, I want you. And I made it happen. If that makes any sense to you, any sense at all, I'm pleading with you, accept this sacrifice today by trusting in the perfect rock, by trusting in Jesus and calling out to the Lord, just like Moses did for salvation, because God will come through. But here's the kicker. It gets better than this. If you choose to do that, not only will God save you but he will satisfy you. He'll satisfy you because you'll see the world as it ought to be seen. This world is not a place where you can find your satisfaction in, in temporary things here on earth like you maybe once thought. The world is like a, it's like a broken waiting room full of broken people waiting for their perfect doctor to come and completely heal them. If if they have recognized him for who he is as the perfect rock. 
If you recognize, if you recognize who your rock is and what he has done for you, then you can truly say with Paul, like he did in, in Philippians 1.23, when he said, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Would you consider this option if you're not a Christian today? Would you please consider it? But what about the Christians? Um, when you look to the world for satisfaction, or rather, when you look to God for satisfaction rather than the world, instead of complaining, you will actually find pleasure in God's commandments. The Christian life is supposed to be a life of joyful obedience, not, not miserable obedience. It's not like my, my son, whenever I tell him to go clean his room or otherwise I'm going to take his spidey costume away, right? I mean, what does he do? He just, you know, he's dragging his feet. Oh, I guess because I, I have to, I suppose I will. That's not what the Christian life is supposed to be like. Jesus says in Matthew 13, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. That's not easy. It's not easy to sell all you have. But this man joyfully sold all he had just to have the treasure. Christ is the treasure. And as a Christian, Everything in your life ought to be on sale so that you might have more of Christ because Christ is not just the means to your satisfaction. He is your satisfaction. Do you see that? Do you see God's commandments in this way? I want to. I want you to. And John Piper summed it up perfectly when he said, when the kingdom is your treasure, submission is your pleasure. Here's your next tattoo idea. Love that quote. When the kingdom is your treasure, submission is your pleasure. So the way this kind of played itself out in, in my life just this week is uh, while I was preparing for this message, I uh, also closed on a house and we're getting ready to move this week. And so everything's chaotic. And, and in the midst of all this chaos, I, I found myself becoming extremely short and snippy with my wife. Uh, every time she'd ask me a question, I'm just like, babe, I, I can't. I can't wrap my mind around where to put a box right now. I just, I just can't. And so I was, I was treating her sinfully. I was. I, I, was, I was ignoring her when I, when I should have been uh, um, talking to her. Um, but here, here, here's how this played itself out. Uh, when I was doing that, I immediately thought of Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I knew in that moment that that was a command from God to go make it right with my wife. Go ask for her forgiveness. And, and by great God's grace, I did. And she did forgive me. But it wasn't easy. And it never is easy. But God didn't command me to do this because he wants miserable obedience God commanded me to do this because he's trying to teach me how to be more like Christ so I can experience the joy of being more like Christ. Do you see that? Every Christian, every Christian should pray and strive to be just like that man in the parable, just like the man that sold everything he had and then in his joy sold it all just to have more of the treasure, just to have more of Christ. How about you? 
How do you react to God's commandments? Secondly, for a Christian, when you look to God for your satisfaction rather than the world, instead of putting God to the test, you can be secure in God when trials occur. Again, just the other day, uh, as I told you, I'm packing up, moving, life's kind of chaotic. And, and just a, the cherry on top, some lights came on in my van. And uh, I, I, I sat down in my van after realizing, yeah, something's wrong here. And I just prayed. I said, God, look, we don't have a lot of money. Uh, could you just do one of those crazy keeping the Israelite sandals from wearing out type of miracles and just, just fix the car? I know you can. Could you just do that? And I prayed and turned on the car. And sure enough, the lights turned off. And I was ecstatic, right? I'm looking at it going, oh my goodness, the lights are off. And I literally said out loud, I said, how about that? Praise the Lord. And no sooner did the word Lord come out of my mouth and the lights turned back on. So, but immediately, even though I was like, ah, that's, that's a little disappointing, a thought came into my mind. And so I jotted it down real quick. And here's the thought. Even though my circumstances didn't change, my reaction to the circumstances shouldn't change either, should they? My reaction should still be, praise the Lord, he knows what he's doing. Now look, I'm not trying to compare your trials to a light going on in my van. I know that there are some of you listening who are going through some really, really dark and hard trials. You may be an African-American with everything going on in Minneapolis right now, thinking to yourself, what do you know about the trials that I'm going through? I don't. I don't know your trials. But I know this principle is so true and so comforting. Paul says in Ephesians 1.11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Even when your circumstances don't change, God has made it possible for your reaction to still be, God knows what he is doing, even in the midst of a trial. And the reason why a Christian can act like this is because when you are satisfied in God, you are secure in God. Look, God knew exactly what he was doing when he led the Israelites into the wilderness. And he knows exactly what he's doing wherever he is leading you. And I'm convinced that all the Israelites needed to do is just take a minute and remember who God was and they wouldn't have tested God. And I think the same is true for us. If you are going through a trial, you need to remind yourself who your God is. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other like me. I am God and there is none like me. Isaiah 46, 9. When you are satisfied in God, you are secure in God. Do you remember that verse that Paul wrote in uh, 1 Corinthians 10 about Christ being the rock? Do you remember what it said before that? It says, they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. 
followed them. The rock was behind them. The pillar was in front of them. And the people of God were secure in the middle. How do you react when trials come into your life? I want to end by asking this very first question I asked. Are you satisfied with your life? Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not a Christian, remember this. You will find your true satisfaction in God and nowhere else. Which option will you choose? Thanks for joining us.